0: Welcome to the SENDcast. My name is Dale Pickles, and I'm the host of the SENDcast. The SENDcast is a podcast we started in 2020 to help improve knowledge around SEND. Every teacher is a teacher of SEND, yet training isn't there to support them. We created the SENDcast to try and solve that problem and help make schools more inclusive. Every week on the SENDcast, we have a different guest, and that I have invited to talk about a specific area. This week, my guest, Alison Knowles. Alison is an emotional therapist. She supports emotional resilience. In this episode, we're talking about supporting foster adoption families and the specific issues those children might be facing. Before we get started, I need to talk about B Squared. B Squared is a company I run, and over the last 25 years, we have supported schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment content is used over 10,000 schools around the world with over 1,500 using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. Our evidence system, Eversense, helps schools capture and share the achievements their pupils are making. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started two years ago with a virtual SEND conference but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conference if you want to find out more about b squared and what we can do to help your school go to our website www.bsquared.co.uk there is lots of information available and you can book an online meeting to find out how we can support you or you can drop an email to me my email address is simply dale at bsquared.co.uk let's get on with the podcast In this week's show, we're discussing working with foster and adoption children, families, and services. Joining me today is Alison Knowles. Alison is the creator of the Ollie model, the author of the series of Ollie and his superpower books, trainer of Ollie coaches, and an emotional therapist. Welcome to the show, Alison. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, children in foster care going through the adoption process or have been adopted may have had a traumatic past which can create complex behavioural issues. These behaviours may have been created to help them survive their environment. Even though the environment has changed, the behaviours may remain.
1: Yeah. Everything that we do, every behaviour we exhibit, it has a purpose. And it's usually around survival. It's around protection. So every child creates behaviours that we kind of wish they wouldn't from time to time. And it's not just because they're seeking attention. It's because they found a way to cope with a situation. And the key, as always, with the only model is... What you're seeing, the behaviors are like the sneeze. The thing that's caused the sneeze is the bit you really need to deal with, and that's the emotion. So, for us, working with foster and adoption, although it's kind of under a separate heading for us, it's not because all kids are kids. They just all have different stuff coming on. But yeah, a child that's been adopted or fostered out. They've got lots of stuff that an average child would not have to go through.
0: No, I, I don't have much experience with foster or adoption. You hear stories, but never firsthand. The only experience I've seen, you know, sometimes you're out shopping or you're out at a park. You just hear a conversation. What the good old days, yeah. Good old days. <laughs> Grainy pictures, you know, flashbacks. <laughs> um and I remember just a conversation of someone just talking to his child and just saying, "We know we're not going back there again. We're not. You'll never see him again. It's safe now. We'll do whatever you want." And my child was a similar age, and I remember looking at this child, thinking, "I literally have no idea what you've gone through to feel the way you're feeling, to never want to see that person again, never comprehend it." And I mean, it's a really interesting point, actually, because what we do as adults
1: is we almost project our feelings and our beliefs onto little ones. So the presumption that they never want to see mum or dad again, because it wasn't necessarily wonderful, could be very, very wrong, because at the end of the day, it's still mum and dad. Yeah. Okay, it wasn't good and it wasn't lovely, but that's still mum and dad. That's my sense of belonging in space. So a lot of these kids, you know, they, they are safe now with foster parents, although they're going to be moved on again, so those kids really go for it. Or they're adopted into a lovely home, but, you know, it's still, they have a mum and a dad somewhere, and that matters to them. And so when someone says, oh, you never have to see them again, you know, if that's if that's what the child wants, great, but I think people need to be really careful with their language around kids because what if it's not what they want? Then yeah. you've put one hell of a barrier up, haven't you?
0: And again, it's not trying to generalise, because I don't want to offend anyone, but in some situations, it's not all going to be bad memories. That child might have a few good memories that they hold on to. And as you said, there's, it's the mum and dad, so there's that natural bond to them, which is hard to break.
1: And again, you know, generalise, but I think we have to, because anyone that's not in the foster and adoption world does do this. And we all presume that the reason that a child's been given up for foster and adoption is because mum's a drug addict or dad's in prison. That's not the case. What if mum's really poorly? What if mum's passed away or dad has and can't cope? So no, it's not always what we would call awful, but for the child, whatever it is, it's traumatic because they've lost their real parents.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. I think you always assume that. Do you always assume that it's a broken home? Something's gone wrong, and they've been rescued. I'm going to use air quotes that rescued from that situation and but no yeah actually there could be so many other reasons why they're put into foster care or things like that
1: you know it's never good and, and I've had arguments with people well it is good you know if mum's doing this or dad's doing that yeah okay it's not a safe environment for the child but to take a child away from everything that they know it's a huge thing before you even start unraveling what they witnessed and then what they've got to cope with with the transition of moving into another family, another home, another area, new school. They're different. They don't know who Mum and Dad is, or they do know but they're not allowed to talk about it or there's a lot going on for these little guys. And and someone my age would struggle with all of that let alone, you know, youngsters. The younger, probably a little bit easier. Teens, poor buggers. They're going through so much (laughs) transition anyway and pile that lot on top of them. Whoa.
0: (laughs) If you think, we're in in April 2021. We had the last Christmas. Go back to that. It was a very different Christmas for most people. They couldn't see families. And a lot of people struggled with that. And that's just, you're an adult. You couldn't see your parents. Come on, it's just a week, but a lot of people couldn't cope with that. So yeah, in the same way, if you go take that to a child in that foster environment or adoption environment, it's a very big change, which they're not used to. Another thing that I'm supposed to think about is my concept of what is lovely and bad is based on all my experiences. That child's lovely and bad is based on all those experiences. And While you might look at that and go, that is shocking, She that child to that child, oh, that was a good day, I enjoyed that day because it wasn't as bad as the rest.
1: But again, that, that's a lovely point and one well, well made. Yeah, all of us have been. Oh, I, you know, I want to go and see my family. It's my right. I can do this. And you know what? If we've all obeyed the rules, hopefully we haven't. But our choice was taken away for a little while. We didn't like it, did we? Right. Especially around. It's something given motive as family. These kids aren't given a choice. And not only are they not given a choice, but they work out quite quickly that if I'm not everything that these new people need me to be, I'm going to be moved again. What a way to live to be permanently afraid that you're going to get it wrong and that you're going to be moved again. And then we wonder why they have behavioural issues.
0: And I suppose if, if you come from, I'm going to make a lot of assumptions, it's come from a not nice place. I think of the stories I've been told of children and that stories and things like that. And I go, if you go from that, where that is your norm to a place where you get given toys, you have an adult spend time with you She's probably going to feel uncomfortable because it's so different and unnatural to what you've experienced.
1: And again, I don't, I don't think there's one answer to that because it really depends where they came from. So if, if, you know, something unfortunately happened to mum and they went into foster and adoption, then that's one set of stuff that they've got to deal with. If I don't know, mum and dad did have a bad time themselves and you know, everything happens for a reason. So we need to not judge so much. Nobody gets themselves in that state and purpose, but then the child's going to have definite ways of how they cope with that and how the world works. So if they're then in now in a family environment where, for example, there is no alcohol or dad never yells or mum, it's like dropping them into another planet. It's like, I don't know what the rules are here. Yeah. How, how the hell am I going to get it right? And and it's it is just so, so tough for them. And and the lovely thing is, you know, they're, they're given toys and love and all of this stuff, but it's like, what what if their background has been they were moved out of the family situation because they were being abused physically or sexually. You suddenly start being really, really lovely to them again. And
0: they're what, thinking, where's this going to go? Yeah.
1: You know, and the social workers, well, I, you know, and mum and dad, well, I'm, you know, we've given them the new PS4 and I've got a point on that this morning or whatever it might be, but they're still not happy. Well, you know, every child that there isn't, as with everything, Ollie, that there isn't a, a set answer to any of these questions because every child is going to have their own experiences and be dealing with them in their own unique way. So consequently, I think it's awful when we go, oh, well, that child came from a home of drug offenders and that one came home from sex. abuse. We need to do this, this. No, 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 you don't. What you need to do is take time and understand how the child has taken that on, what they understand to be true about it themselves and where they are now and then work with the child and the family to create the environment the child needs not make the child fit into the environment that won't work it's not fair
0: there's a, a series called this is us on amazon prime i don't know if you've seen that i've heard i haven't seen it i've, I've i heard of love it. it it's a it's literally looks at these families and there's various issues with their family but they don't have blazing rows they deal with it how you and me would deal with a disagreement. They might not talk for a while. Then we'd have a
1: blazing row. (laughs) Uh,
0: I'm not a blazing rower. I'm generally, I I literally go, if I say something, I'm 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 going to just close my mouth, keep it in my head, and then I'll say it, try and put it in a nicer way. Because generally, you damage things if you have those blazing rows. It causes more carnage. (laughs) But you watch this series, and they generally, they have issues, and they resolve them. But you get flashbacks of maybe why this person feels this way, which is quite nice. So, they literally, you jump forward and backwards in time to their childhood to now. And it's a real complex family makeup. And one of the children says so a black Randall, he's a black bloke, was adopted into a white family because they had triplets. One of their children died. Randall's parents disappeared. And there's a whole, I'm not going to get into the backstory. He was adopted by them, but he obviously had a very different upbringing, being brought up in a white family, being the black person. And there's just a whole load of issues, which they explore in this series, which is really interesting. And on the latest one, he then adopted a child. He went, I've been adopted. I want to do the same. So, and this child wasn't feeling great. So he took her on a journey and he obviously envisaged this lovely bringing together of, I was adopted. I was adopted. Oh, we're together. And he had this vision and he went and did this thing and this girl just turned around to him and went, yeah, we were both adopted, but what happened to you, and what happened to me, very different. Don't put your journey, your experiences, don't project them onto me. It's different. And that was a wake-up call for him. And again, I literally watched that. I went, and it is, you assume that they're all going to have the same. And, and it's it's such an interesting, we're, we're discussing this. I was
1: talking to some of the guys that I'm training to be olly coaches and they were... Uh, feeling a little bit overwhelmed halfway through the course that they don't know how to work with foster adoption or autism and they're not experts and i said good (laughs) because the moment that you are you're going to start pigeonholing people all right so your parents were drug addicts okay page 34 your mother unfortunately died uh page 32 it's not the way it works every single one of us deals with the world in a different way and it's so hard as adults who want to make it right and what we consider to be right is what would make it right for us and you know most of the time that probably would work for a child because all any of us want is to feel safe love secure and valued but these kids don't trust how can they trust even if you're a lovely foster and adoption parents they might get moved again so what's the point of bonding with you they're going to get shoved on again so then they're going to be a little bit distant and then mum and dad are going to think they're failing as parents and and as you say, there's there's like this complex ugh, mess of therapy going on in any of these households because everybody involved has a different agenda. I was talking to a lovely bloke the other day and it, it took him a long while to to have this conversation with me. But every time I spoke to him and his wife um, who had fostered a little and who had some additional needs, they'd adopted him. He just sat there and went, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah loved the child, everything, you know, it was a lovely, lovely family unit, but you could tell there was something. And then one day he finally said, I don't think I can say this out loud, but I need to say it, I'm grieving. So said, well, you're <laughs> grieving, okay, that's okay. You're allowed to feel whatever you're feeling. What? What's that about? And what it was was as much as he loved this child, and my God, he does, you can see it, this child was never going to play football with him or rugby or go fishing or So he's grieving for the family that he didn't have. And you see that with some people that naturally give birth to a child with additional needs. But to adopt one, even if you know they've got additional needs, there's that realisation. Because your first thought is, I'm adopting a child, I want a child, I want a family. And I want to give this child the best chance I can. But then the reality kicks in of you will have dreams and expectations of what your family unit is. What if it's not? But then I look at my family and I think expectations, <laughs> my grandmother would be turning in a grave. You just don't know, do you? No,
0: but you do. When As soon as you have children, you literally, your child is born, you look at them and you're literally already visioning having their children over and having Christmas. And You've got this whole dream. And there are various things that can change. Losing a child, you disappearing, uh, additional needs, various other things can really change that vision of yours and in reality you've not lost anything because you never had it but it was in your head and you had formed this idea and this concept and this was going to happen and there is is understanding your child's additional needs but then there is later on there'll be times where it will hit you as you said you might drive past the park and just see the other kids at that age i can imagine yeah there's probably a lot of grief going in there
1: I think you just have to have an. Open, I don't feel that I need to be an expert on fostering adoption. I just have to be very open to. I have no idea what's going on in this child's world, and provided I have that approach, then I'm not going to do them a disservice of trying to steer them down a path that I think would make them feel better, because I just can't know. You know, I think one of the first kids that I worked with, I got brought in because he'd gone from foster home to foster home with his little sister. And he was just a nightmare. His behaviour was off the Richter scale. And I knew some of the parents that he was with, and I got involved because the last set of parents were close friends of mine, and, you know, they were looking to adopt. But he was like, I can't, Ali, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm listening to everything. It's not working. And this little fellow was stealing. And he was he was stealing money, not like like wads, but money would just go missing. And he was taking food out of the fridge, but weird stuff, stuff he couldn't cook himself. It was It was just odd. And every time they asked him about it, he absolutely denied it and he couldn't find it and what I mean, Long, long, long story short, this fellow was only about eight, this little lad, right, and his little sister. Fortunately, they were still together. That's awful when they get separated. Christ, they've gone through enough. And she was about six. And the reason that he was stealing and then denying it completely and getting quite aggressive if anyone pulled him on it or if anyone went near his sister was because his past which not even the social workers were aware of. They were aware of a bit of abuse. But him and his sister went for days with no food. So at eight, this little man had worked out, yeah, all right, you're lovely, you're safe, you feed us, we we'll get regular meals, there's sweets on the table, we can help yourself. But it's going
0: to stop at some point.
1: Yeah, so he he was hoarding. He was hoarding for him and his little sister, eight years old, for Christ's sakes. And the money, yeah, same thing, in case he needed to go and buy something to eat or get her a coat. Eight There's so a whole We can't world. know what
0: these kids have been through You look at a typical eight-year-old And you think of what they're worrying about
1: Yeah, these, these kids are eight going on 18 Intellectually, survival But emotionally, they're just like our kids In fact, they're probably further behind Because they'll have delay in emotional response Because emotions are dangerous, aren't they? I, I have kids that aren't allowed to cry Or don't cry why don't they cry? Oh well, they must you know they don't do emotion. No, they do do emotion. It's just been banged out of them. They're not allowed to cry. And again, I think the thing that I've loved with being involved with foster and adoption is the agencies that have involved us. So we've got Cambridgeshire, Suffolk, Warwickshire. Fantastic. Those guys realize completely that every single child is so individual and has a very individual reality. And so there isn't a one size, and they like the way that we work and that we will perceive that. We'll step in and we'll find out what's going on with this little fella and we'll create something that's right for them in all the ways it needs to be and then work with mum and dad. You know, the guys that foster and adopt, they heroes. They're giving these kids homes. Yes, they have their reasons, and that's, uh, ask me in a minute, something else that we do with foster adoption around parenting. But most of the time, the reasons are genuine. You know, either they haven't got a family and they want to give these kids the best chance, but... They probably haven't got kids of their own sometimes, so this might be the first time they've had a child and they've fostered or adopted because they haven't got kids of their own. Or they have got kids of their own. And, you know, we forget about the other siblings. They've suddenly got this new one in. Everyone's got a tread like eggshells around. And, you know, and if they do something wrong, we just let it go because, because, because. Worst thing you can do. Blimmin' it, Ask me about boundaries in a minute as well. <laughs> but it's everybody. You can't just work with the child. You've got to work with the whole family unit because we've all got our realities and beliefs about the world. And if you give birth to a child, you've had nine months to come to terms with the fact any minute now this thing's going to be here and it's going to take over your world. Foster Fostering adoption, all right, you might have been thinking about it for a while and building yourself up, but you haven't got that same connection. And there's something about that connection as well that really helps you push through behaviours with a child. But if it's, you know, I've adopted this child or I've fostered it and, and behaviours off the Richter scale, there's nothing I can do. There isn't that bond there. And I, I don't know if it's just me thinking this way, but a couple of times I've seen it and parents have said there's just not that bond and it makes it harder to deal with their behaviour. If it's your own kid, you kind of you know got to
0: do it I think there's nine months but also when they're born it's kind of you can put them down and they will stay there where you put them and (laughs) you can learn the first month or a couple of months they stay still they're noisy but they do stay still and then that changes but it's kind of it changes at a pace and you learn how they're going to do things so you might have a child who's happy and does stay in that room together yeah or the moment you turn you think they're hanging from the ceiling but you will learn slowly and you'll learn all these different things and they'll develop as they get more mobile. You already know they're a bit of a, a nightmare of crawling. So you know they're going to be a bit of a nightmare running. You know they're going to be uh, falling into things and headbutting things and everyone will look at you dodgily because they've got all these bruises. But it's just keep walking into tables. Um, and you're, you'll learn over time. But I think, yeah, you know, when as soon as you foster, it's a very, very steep learning curve. Any, any child just arriving with you, it's a huge learning curve. Whatever anyone tells you, your actions impact their actions. So what someone says, they're like this, they might be like that because of you, but it could be completely different with me. So there's very, so many things. You, I think you literally got to just, as you said, learn yeah, from them. Yeah, I mean,
1: and something as simple as, you know, if you've already got kids and you've you've adopted a little one in or fostered one in, and, you know, when you're grumpy with your kids, you raise your voice occasionally. You know, we're human that's something that your kids are kind of used to maybe don't like it but they're used to it but if you raise your voice which is something you've just naturally done all the time and the last time that the young chap or woman that you've fostered or adopted heard a raid voice it wasn't pleasant it's really really hard you're on eggshells and although you know the agencies that we work with do a brilliant job of trying to give mum and dad all the support and information you can you can't know. You can you, you can have an idea, oh, you know, we, we brought this one into foster adoption because this is their past. So you know what happened, but you don't know what happened inside of the child or how they've perceived that and how their world now works because of that, what their survival mechanisms are, because that's what we're seeing in the behaviours, bless them.
0: So those, go back to the two children, the eight-year-old boy and the six-year-old girl, they would have perceived events very differently because he was looking after his little sister, so he was very worried. He would have probably put himself and look after his sister. It didn't
1: matter. Yeah.
0: Whereas his sister would have just looked at her brother as the saviour. He as long with him. So whatever happens, they would well, both. What
1: happened was they were separated because he was too much to handle. That's when I got brought in. And then you've got to have another whole layer, haven't you? Because yeah. all the six-year-old knows his brother will protect me, and all he knows is my job is to protect her. If I'm not there, bad things happen.
0: Yeah, it's a whole so, of course
1: his behaviour went through the damn roof because nobody actually took the time to try and understand why. I suppose they're all right now, by the way. Good. <laughs>
0: I was gonna ask you afterwards.
1: Yeah, no, they're good. Um, they're good.
0: I suppose with anything, it's like learning to drive. Yeah? You can walk. A like lot most people can cycle and then you learn to drive. And you spend however long getting used to this new environment. Yeah, the accelerator pedals just work a certain way. The gears work a certain way. It's all quite standard, and you learn the rules. And once you've learned them enough, you can take your test, and hopefully, you're passing off. You go. So if you just think of that, when we put in that, taking that child and putting them in that environment, you're probably thinking about the same thing. So what they want is predictable rules. They want maybe to learn that actually this is how life is here. This is how it's going to work. And I suppose what you're to keep is consistent as much as you can. Would that make sense? To me, it does. Look, I'm no expert, and I have to keep saying that. But I'm really
1: proud to say we we get an awful lot of work because of our approach and the fact that maybe we're not experts. But a, another example is a lovely, lovely lady who adopted a little fella. some additional needs, but, you know, they were coping with that. They, they went into it with their eyes, eyes open. But for no reason whatsoever, he would just suddenly have the most severe meltdowns. I know it was always that him being on the spectrum, is that. And they did all these tests and what have you. And, it... and then one day she phoned me and she said, Ali, I don't know what to do anymore. I said, what's happened? <laughs> and she said, I don't know. She said, I had a friend round, you know, when we were allowed to. And she said, because obviously X is our only child. So we thought we'd have a friend round with a little lad the same age. And she said it was lovely. I was sat there having a cup of tea. My friends a bit posh, so I got grandma's really nice um, coffee set out. It's all china. She said we sat there, <laughs> and she said and the boys were playing. It was lovely. And then she said for no reason whatsoever, little X just came up, picked her coffee cup up, and threw it against the wall, smashed it, screamed his lungs off, ran off. I went, oh, okay. And she said, I was so embarrassed, embarrassed, ashamed. I'm a bad parent. All that sort of stuff going on. So, you know, we're looking at the child. What's going on with mum when that happens? I failed. What have I done wrong? I've followed all the rules. I've read all the books. He still did this. And I went, whoa, 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 slow down. So so what did you do? And she went, well, I did exactly what I was told, not raise my voice, because obviously he's come from a, I went, okay, right, right. So what did you do? And she went, well, I just got down to his level, like I've been told to do. So I got in close and crouched down next to him. Not always the best. Not always the best, but there you go. Same level, yes,
0: but maybe a bit further away. Yeah.
1: Don't judge or prejudge. And she said, I just said, look, you know, we don't do that. That's not accessible. It's upset, mummy, but mummy still loves you. Everything I've been told to say. She said, I didn't raise my voice, you know, I gave him a hug, it was all good. And I said, brilliant, then what happened? She said, well, he was still a bit upset that he'd upset me, so we went and had a McDonald's because he loves McDonald's, and on the way back I brought some Lego for him because he loves his Lego. I went, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And she said, but Ali, I can't have that. She said, I was so ashamed, I thought we were getting somewhere, there was no rhyme or reason for this, he's been all right for a couple of w-. And I said, like, I'll come round tomorrow, all right. And I said, but I really love coffee, and especially in China, it tastes better, doesn't it? Do you mind? she no, of course not. I said, but I have to tell you, I'm not just going to break one cup. I'm going to pick the whole damn set up and throw it against the wall. And she said, why would you do that, Ali? I said, well, I need a new car. Said, just let that sink in. So what was happening was that she'd been advised, and all the books she's read was she knew a little bit about this little fellow's past, and it wasn't pretty, that he had fetal alcohol syndrome, so do the maths, yeah, yeah. that give him rope. Don't react. Don't raise your voice. Give him that calm place. Give him that constant. Yeah. (laughs) But the thing was that what he'd actually learned was no matter what he did, he would get a hug. So he then worked out that actually, if I want a hug, Best thing to do is to do something bad.
0: So I'll get one quite quickly.
1: And some Lego and a McDonald's, obviously. Is he manipulative? He's not old enough to be manipulative to the level that you and I would think of that word. What he's doing is manipulating a situation to make himself feel better. He was getting something he needed. And what he was doing was, I know you love me. I know I'm safe here. I'm almost beginning to believe it. I'm almost beginning to believe maybe I can stay here and this is okay. And you're never going to hurt me and never let anything hurt me. But I'm not sure. And what he was doing was testing the boundaries. So if I do this, do you still love me? If I do this, do you still love me? And the thing is, you say, yes, of course I do. Yes, of course I do. But in my personal opinion, there needs to be a line. I still love you, but there has to be a consequence for what you just did. And I'm not, and I the the consequences when I'm not into slapping kids or all that. I'm just right, you know, no Xbox for now, whatever it is, because that gives a firm boundary. And if you think about all of us, the reason we freaked out through this COVID thing is we don't know what the damn rules are. One minute we can go out, next minute we can't. You can wear a mask, can't wear a mask, see your family, can't see your family. You can, you can, not you can, you can't. It's been sending us around the twist because we don't know what the rules are or the boundaries. If we know the rules, we can get it right. If we get it right, aren't we good? And then we feel good about ourselves and then we feel safe and then we feel secure and loved. So every time you move the boundaries with a child, you're taking away the thing they really, really need. But once the child has taken over balance in the house, and that's usually when we get brought in, and it is because they're frightened. It's the only reason they've done it, they're not bad kids. They're frightened. Something's in them. But by the time we come in to rebalance the balance, it gets worse before it gets better. But do you know what? All we need is rules, all of us. I know we kick against them, but if we know what the rules are, yeah. we feel safe.
0: You, see, you, you do sit there, and generally, you will put things off. You'll put things off. Until you can't put it off anymore, then you'll suddenly do it. And there's, there was a boundary which was coming up. You knew I, I don't do it yet. I don't do it yet. You kept to the boundary. Okay, I'll do it now. And it could be getting something prepared for work, or it could be painting at home, or repairing something, or phoning someone, or anything. You kind of sometimes you just put things off until you get to that boundary, and you don't like it, but you do it. And yeah. but some people are very good. Some people revise when they should and do all those things and are really good and revise they, and wash they, up they every have moment. They their
1: own boundaries within the boundaries. That's that's the key. Yeah. You, you see a, a lot of parents, um, and again, we're, we're talking foster and adoption, but it's across the board, and then like, you know, I don't get it. The schools are telling me they're perfect and, and then when they get home, all hell breaks loose. And I think it's because they didn't at school. So when they come home, they bottled it all up and then their true selves come out and they have a meltdown because they can't cope with school and they can't cope with this, that and the other or whatever your reality of that situation is. And I think, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know, it's your child. But the truth is, what is the difference between school and home? Rules, regs, know what you're doing. Know what's expected of you. Boundaries don't change.
0: That's why so many children do better in school than they do at home. There's uh, I was, some, some children, because I know there are families at home and it's it's not that the child is exploding at home. It's they're tired from being at school. Yeah. So it, it could be it could be either way. It yeah, could yeah, be absolutely. that you don't have any boundaries at home, which is why the child can, kind of goes a bit mad and bong. The other thing is they could be at school fitting in the mould and they get home and they're tired. But if their boundaries are there, it shouldn't be destructive. But there's that, you've got, yes, yeah, that allowance.
1: And, and again, you know, I, don't, I say there's no bad kids, there's no bad parents. So if you're right, you, you never know what is causing that change in behaviour. But, you know, whether they're tired at school because school day was really, really hard, or whether, you know, they, they love the rules and regs and when they're home, that's just not there. We're not saying that there's no boundaries at home. It might just be something's changed. And we're really seeing it with COVID. So at the moment, something's changed. Mum or dad are working at home. And they probably have less time than they did when they were going to the office because at least that was a boundary. I come home, I have my dinner, I read a book with you, we do this. Oh, no, you carry on working at the moment, don't you? There doesn't seem to be a cut-off. So there's
0: all sorts going on, but boundaries are really, really important. I think for secondary school children, it might have been a case that they got home about three, half three, but their parents didn't go home until five, half five. So they kind of had two hours to do what they want and relax, which they needed. And then the parents came home and the rules are right. They, kind of, they didn't do anything dangerous, but they knew they just had a downtime. And then the parents came home, right, have you done this? Have you homework? Have you got your lunchbox? Have you, you give them all the usual stuff they have to do, which they never do. But now when they get home at half three and you're already there, you're doing that straight away and they haven't had that break time. They haven't had that uh, time after school. Any, any change, and as you said, it could be really small.
1: Yeah, and if we go back to specifically fostering adoption, one of the lovely things that we're doing is we're working with the parents because these guys maybe have kids of their own. A lot of them don't, and that's why they've gone into foster and adoption. So this is a whole new world. And one of the biggest things and nobody really notices is what they're going through is they're trying so damn hard to get it right. And if their child misbehaves or isn't doing as well as the next child, who's oh, seven, he should be reading perfectly by now, or is this and he should be doing this by now, then we all have that, oh, my God, I'm not a good parent. Well, these guys feel even worse. They feel like they're failing. They've been given this opportunity, this gift of a child, and they feel like they're failing. And it's not that they're failing, it's just that this child has got so much going on that probably nobody has ever taken the time to really address and try and understand. Because don't forget, kids can't talk about emotions. Rubbish. And and so these kids are keeping it bottled in and they're showing it through behaviours. And parents aren't therapists. No. How are they supposed to get to the bottom of it? No offence, social workers aren't therapists. How are they supposed to get to the bottom of it? So what you've got is you've got the adoption agency, whether it's a government one or a private one, foster. You've got the social workers who are lovely people in it for the right reason, most of them, and you've got the parents that are, you know, giving up a lot to give these children a home. Yes, they're getting from it too, but none of them damn therapists. And <laughs> these kids need someone that can step into their model of the world make them feel completely safe to say whatever it is they want to say and not be afraid that you know if i say i don't like being here because even though that lady's lovely when she laughs it sounds like my uncle's wife who used to abuse me that kind of thing yeah and and it needs to be a process whereby when a child is foster adopted the family have got that kind of therapeutic support to help them understand the child but also for them because it's like they're not allowed to say I can't cope because that makes them rubbish parents doesn't it and they're not allowed to say I'm scared or I'm really embarrassed or I'm ashamed they're not allowed to do that because you know someone might say well maybe you shouldn't be a foster parent rubbish is human they just need a little bit of
0: support I suppose if you're thinking that when this happens you failed you've let the child down you're embarrassed or however much you try not to that will be projected outwards
1: Exactly. And, and children pick up on it. I think we've talked about this before around the, the subject of anxiety. And I get loads of kids brought to me that are anxious. The only reason they're anxious is because mum is, And they're, you know, well, you think about it. If your protector is mum or dad, and you, you know, you need them to be like the lioness and guard you, if they're frightened, you've had it, haven't you? <laughs> so yeah. a child has a sixth sense. And that sixth sense is a bodyguard, it is a protection. Now, in most children, that's strong. Foster and adoption some of the things these kids have seen and witnessed or even if they didn't come from a bad place but they've moved from family to family to family because they can't settle or they're not being exactly what that family needed <sighs> through the roof anxiety and they'll be picking up on the nerves of the parents as well i you're telling me i'm safe here you're telling me this is okay and, and nothing bad's going to happen to me you're scared. Why are you scared? You're scared. You're making me scared. So an awful lot of the work we do with foster adoption is working with the parents, holding their hands, helping them understand and be able to say what they're feeling. They're almost afraid or embarrassed to say. For this dad to tell me he was grieving, he said, how can I say this? My wife loves my son. I love my son. You know, if I say that, the foster people might think, oh, I shouldn't be dad then because it's not good enough. He said, that's not what I mean. I got what he meant. Yeah.
0: It's Yeah, you sit there and and I wasn't. I wasn't really big for children. It was yeah. At some point, I wasn't against them. I wasn't pining for a child. And I'm not saying my wife was either, but there are some people who want a child. They really want the to be the football coach. They what they have those dreams in their head, and I suppose yeah, if you've got that, losing that is a big, it's a big challenge.
1: Yeah, I mean if you if you go into it, I you know no, no, no foster agency or adoption agency is going to go. We'll send a child out to you next week, 4 o'clock. Is that okay? You asked for a boy, we found you one. And he, he
0: supports the right team. And- yeah, and all
1: <laughs> that. That doesn't happen, right? And that, and and they absolutely do all they can to tell you about the background so that you know what you're taking on. You can do a little bit of homework. But who the hell is an expert in fetal alcohol syndrome or autism or a myriad of other things that these kids are struggling with? Because, unfortunately, a lot of these kids are because of the parenting and and pregnancy to be honest you, you don't have that information but you just touched on something that we've just begun to do that i absolutely love because it is what i want the only model to do which is just great we do an awful lot of corporate stuff people don't think that they think we're just you know Ollie coaches work with children well, we do in the boardroom but because what we do is we deal with the emotion so we deal with change management we deal with communication breakdowns Because it's the same damn thing. We all view the world differently. We all have different beliefs, hopes, and fears. So in any given group of people, if you can't recognise that in someone else, you're either going to be offended by it or tread all over them. That's the way it goes. Foster and adoption, you just touched on it. You know, some of the people that foster and adopt really, really want a child. Well, hopefully they all do. Otherwise, we're in trouble, aren't we? And they are amazing people. 99.9% of all the parents I've met in foster and adoption are angels walking this earth, they really are. But that need to have a child can sometimes cause an awful lot of problems if it's not spotted. So I have seen on occasion a couple of times where I've been asked to work with a child, and my training as a therapist is, so you and I are communicating right now, we're talking, right, both speaking English, that's only 7% of how we're communicating to make you feel uncomfortable but while we're talking I'm watching your every movement every twitch of your right yeah I'm sorry <laughs> but there's another 93% of communication going on here um, verbal and nonverbal communication so we do this naturally as therapists because it helps us understand what's going on with someone and helps guide us so that we don't miss stuff or start telling them what they should do all this sort of mess simple stuff I wish we could teach it in damn schools I wish we could teach teachers before they became teachers because it would just make them even better but there's a couple of parents, and one in particular I remember, and and I watched and I thought, ah, I don't think I can help these children. Now, I've never said that because I won't give up on a child. But I went to the social worker not very long in, and I just said, "This is foster adoption? And she went, well, it's foster up for adoption. I went, don't do it. Please don't do it. And she went, why? They're lovely. They're really lovely parents, and, you know, the kids are together. Please don't do it. I said, look, this is a personal opinion. But the reason that these children are here is because that marriage wouldn't have lasted much longer without a family. And the reason these children are here is because the rest of the greater part of the family were judging this couple because they didn't have children. I said, these children don't stand a chance if they are not absolutely perfect and exactly what they need to be for the general public. That's why we've got the behavioural issues. They're terrified. Please don't do this. I had no say in it. It's up to them.
0: So the parents basically had this vision. What was expected of them? This they was how they bad could get people. it. They weren't get bad people. Off. No, but they had this vision, and <laughs> they had to fit in to that mould. And therefore, the so children they, had they to. They chose
1: in. children that were beautiful. All well, children are, but these these were particularly beautiful. And they were dressed the same. They looked immaculate. Everywhere they went, mum was one of these, oh, everybody loves her. She does everything for everyone. She's generally a lovely, lovely person, but a big hole in her because she didn't have kids. And you could see these children were an attachment. It was solving her issue. But it wasn't solving theirs because they came with issues and those issues were annoyance because, you know, please don't do that in public, quite literally. And, of course, these kids had got all the stuff we were just talking about and they, they, they couldn't. So, of course, their behaviour went out the window. And what's happened since, and, and it that was in a completely separate county to the one I'm about to mention, but we're, we're now talking to Warwickshire about how can we help because, you know, mistakes are made, and can we teach them any of the techniques we're using so that when they're actually interviewing parents, if there's even a slight doubt, they can explore it a little bit further because we'll naturally as therapists pick up on stuff that it is you know really really qualified long-time social workers don't miss a bloody trick do they but you know it happens and wouldn't it be really lovely these kids have gone through hell as it is that their parents are taking them on for the right reason and can i just reiterate 99.9 percent of parents in foster and adoption bloody angels but we've got to get it right yeah
0: currently uh you're expected to find a person of the other gender you are expected to get engaged and get married and have children. And then you've ticked a big box. That's what's expected Pinking of you.
1: Fence, Labrador, Holiday and Ibiza.
0: Yes. And then so people get engaged and they're doing this, but they're not happy. Get married. That will make it happy it's like, it's a conversation it's piece in the next house, couple of years. It, yeah. Yeah, so it's something, it distracts them. It's true, like- we
1: need something to look forward to. We, and it's also a sense of, well, all my friends have got children. And, and I know, I don't have, this is really funny, I consider what I do for a living, I don't have any children of mine. I've got thousands of adopted now. Um, not literally adopted, but adopted, you know what I mean. But yeah, it, I remember when I was growing up, all my friends started having families. And although we weren't suddenly ostracised because, no, we were the favourite great aunts and, you know, we're going to turn up and do all the babysitting and buy a nice presents, So far from it. Our friends are lovely. But I didn't have anything to talk about because after about an hour of dirty nappies and sleep bedtime, I'm like, i trying to stay interested, but I can't. Whereas the other couples that were going for a chat all night. So then you're not part of that group because you don't have the same things. And I think I think. There is a lot of pressure on people to, to, to have
0: families. Some people are happy being their own person. I'm, I'm happy to do what I want to do. I don't really care what others do. Others feel the need to belong to a group. And that that's it's like a herd, part of a tribe, all that sort of stuff. So they will do. And sometimes they're with someone because it ticks a box. They don't love that person. They love the fact they have a person.
1: Or that person is loved by others, yeah
0: is so a mad. whole, whole almost, load of stuff yeah. and <laughs> it does lead to very dangerous situations. It probably leads to children being put into foster care and adoption because actually they did all this. They had the children and then it went wrong. The children weren't the perfect thing. They didn't fix. Then it all falls down. And again, nothing to do with the child. That issue started so long ago. And I'm I'm really aware
1: as we're talking that it all sounds a bit doom and gloom, but you have to see it from my perspective as a therapist. Nobody ever comes and sees me because they're happier in a good place. So the only children or families that we get pulled into work with are ones that are going through this mess. But again, happy to say it's a very small percentage but that percentage is still kids that deserve every damn chance, and the parents that are doing it for the right reasons deserve every part of support we can give them. It's a minefield. There are no books.
0: I, I know. I, I've known some of these angels you talk about. People who adopt. Um, and there was a bloke who I knew many, many, many years ago when I worked at IKEA, and I worked the bloke called Alfonso Cow, and he had four or five children, but he'd also adopted into double figures. So he had his children, but he had so much love to give, he adopted, and he died and went to his funeral, had no idea how many children he actually had. It was getting close to 20, I think, in total. He was 60-something, and he was still – a. but he just had so much love to give, and he was just – listened. It was a really – and it was just phenomenal. never knew – and at that point in my life, I'd never met anyone who really adopted anyone, who fostered. It was a thing, and just – yeah, he, he would have been, from what I know, he would have been perfect for it because he was calm. And I reckon he has boundaries. I reckon he could have got quite, this is the line. But, he, he yeah, he was lovely. And, and there are others I know at the moment who do it, and I listen to some of their challenges. I don't want to talk about, I don't, because I'm getting a third-hand oh. version. So it's like I don't know the whys or the hows or the his.
1: Oh, and it's all about perspective from whichever angle you look at it, isn't yes, it? Yes, okay.
0: but the stories they say is generally is, they've come to a different world they don't recognize. And that causes so many problems. Like, it's either too good to be true, and it's gonna end, and I'll go back, or I, I don't know what to do. And just lots of things, and it's amazing the work they do. You're given a child you're responsible for. You're somehow, as you said, the day they arrive, you're supposed to suddenly understand them, and know them, and be everything an expert about them, and be fine with all of this, and cope with it all, and be amazing. Yeah, it's not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. But I guess,
1: and then and then with, it, with the spectrums of spectrums of spectrums of all of this, which is why our model is all about. There are no books. Everyone's individual. So you'll have some foster and adoptive parents that are experts because they've you know they've fostered and adopted lots of kids. They are experts to a point of knowing what's coming in regard to behavioural issues and attachment issues, massive one, uh, helping the child deal with transition grief, that they're experts in because there's a kind of a coverall that all these kids will be struggling with. But the individual thing going on with that child, no, they're not experts. Nobody can be. Those guys have learnt the hard way. You can't do this on your own. It's okay to ask for help. That doesn't mean you're failing. That doesn't mean you're a rubbish parent. Far from it. You're a brilliant parent because you're going out there and asking. well, hang on, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying and they just need to settle down. But I'm telling you, there's something really bothering this kid. Yeah. And now I'm out of settling down, so listen to me, please. You've asked me to be responsible. I'm being responsible. Listen. And they'll do that. But uh, a lot of the younger pair are like, well, no, I should be knowing what I'm doing, surely. Have I bitten off more than I can chew? Oh, my God, can I even mention it? I can't even tell my family. I can't have them go and stay with my family. Cause-. And it's like, you know... You're doing such an amazing thing, giving these children a chance, a future, which is all I'm about. May I I'll die doing it? So I absolutely have these guys on a pedestal, but we need to support them.
0: But you, might, but you might be that someone who fosters children. You're on foster number 32. <laughs> and that person will throw something new at you. Just because, oh, they've had that before. You've had one of them before. I've had one of them before. No, you haven't haven't. Had them before. No, you haven't. No, you haven't had this from the person with that. It's mm. just you haven't. You And I think that's, the fact they've been successful, generally they've learned that Every child is unique and you get the list. Yeah. But then you see what walks through that door rather than you get that list. And we're going to, there's another podcast I'm doing with Alison later on, which is all about labels.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love Uh, labels. Get me on that one.
0: All about that. You get this label, don't just research that label. That's not going to give you every answer. It's going to give you some answers. It's going to give you a basic understanding of some of the areas. So
1: true. I I, I know this lovely chap called Paul, who's uh, an Ollie ambassador now. He's an autistic man and some other stuff going on for him. And he came and talked to all my Ollie coaches about the fruit cocktail. And it was a lovely way of exactly that. Now, he can get away with this more than I can because I tend to upset the autistic world when I say, no, actually, they're all different. That doesn't autism. And I get into one, but he can say it because he's an autistic man, although it upsets him anyway. And he basically said, what is autism? And he went through all the different things that could be part of being on the spectrum. And there are hundreds. And it's a fruit cocktail. And he said, so what is autism? So if we're looking at providing a service for an autistic child, how can we do that?
0: Because what is autism? To me, autism is this person sees the world differently. That's the end of the definition to me.
1: I, I, I don't know how That's best, that
0: person. Best definition I've heard. I don't know. It's not like they all see it this way. It's, they see it differently. You're going to have to learn.
1: And Everything about the Ollie model and everything I drum into my therapists from the off is everybody that walks through your door. You don't know anything about them. You don't know their language. You don't know their beliefs. You don't know their history. You don't know their customs. You open your mouth. You're going to offend sit back, watch, learn. And we do that with every client, which is why whether we're working with foster and adoption and the trauma some of these kids have been through or if we're working with kids on the spectrum, there's an awful lot of those in the world of foster and adoption, people can't cope, doesn't make any difference to us. I don't know anything about them. I'm not an expert and I'm really proud I'm not an expert. I'm just going to sit with this child for a minute, get them to trust me, let them know they can because trust is a massive thing get them to try and explain to me what's going on in their world. So if I can do anything to alleviate that and help by working with mum and dad, I can. So I'm always like a translator, It's the best way to put it.
0: So coming to the end of the podcast, I suppose out of all of this, what's important? So if you, you're you a foster parent, you're adoption parent, even anyone who works with a child who's in that world, you don't remove the boundaries. You keep... The boundaries. Boundaries keep us safe. Boundaries keep us Think safe. Think about a
1: load of sheep. If you if you just let them run on the hillsides, and they've never done that before, they're terrified. An odd metaphor, but I, I lived near Huntingdon, and many, many years ago there was a research centre, Huntingdon Research Centre, and yes, there were animals there, which I'm <clears throat> not happy about, but it was there. One night, a load of animal rights people went in and let all the monkeys out. And part of me was, yeah, brilliant. The monkeys lasted a day because they didn't know how to be out. And so boundaries, I know it's a bit of a weird metaphor, but my point is if if this is all you've known and those boundaries are moved, then I don't feel safe anymore. So I could walk this far and it was safe. Are you now telling me I can move a little bit further out on the ice? Can I? Is it safe? I don't know. Are
0: you really going to catch me? So they need the boundaries, but perhaps it just doesn't have to be such a uh, sledgehammer approach to that boundary. Absolutely. But there's got to be a boundary. They've got to know they can't cross it. But it's got to be dealt with, but you still need that boundary. You
1: don't. You know, it's like things at
0: home. Uh, We sit up at the table for dinner, okay? Not all the
1: time. Sometimes I'm really tired. I slouch in front of a telly. But most of the time we sit up at the table and we have a simple rule. None of us leave the table till everyone's finished. That's it. We don't do this. You're not leaving until you've emptied your plate. But we kind of just sit there till everyone's finished because that's kind of our rule. And... If anyone doesn't, so my young nieces and nephews come and they're at their little ones and they're probably not used to sitting at the table, so I just say, look, in our house, this is one of the things that we do. Is that okay? And this is why we do it, because we like chatting and stuff. And, and then we don't leave a table till everyone's finished, so that it's all right. And, and, you know, they they understand the rule then, because it's not a rule, it's just something we do. It's a very, you know, rule is quite, these are the rules, you will obey them. You start putting rules in and kids that have got a dodgy background, you're going to have trouble, teenage kids, these are the rules, mate. Deal with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, how you word it? Yeah. So, this is what we do. Is that all right, cool.
0: And, and they'll go with it. Sometimes giving them a reason. This is we all sit down. Everyone's finished. So That sounds a bit. We we sit down at the dinner table so we can talk about and find out what everyone's done. So everyone gets a chance to say what they've done, what they've enjoyed, what it's they've not. It. And it just by doing that, it just gives us all a chance.
1: Explain it age appropriate. And 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 again, you know, we're going a little bit off subject, but then. I work with a lot of people whose kids have got demand avoidance issues. That's the, the latest one, isn't it? It's just about language patterns. And again, we can help so much with the simple stuff we do as therapists. That's all I want to do. I just want to give people these tools. So if someone, if you said, can you brush your teeth? If they've got a delayed learning, processing skills or demand avoidance, can you brush your teeth? I can <laughs> They're not gonna do it, does it? Or he'll never eat his dinner. He, de- he never eats his dinner. There's no point putting it down. Saying eat your dinner. He won't do it. He just won't do it. He's got demand voice. He won't do it. So say it differently. I think your sausages are ready to be munched now, mate. Gong gong go, Off they go. So what we do is we completely accept the individuality of that person's world, whether it's the child or the parent or the anyone learn how they communicate and then we just pass that information on to the people in their world that need to understand it. And that gets rid of so much, so many problems.
0: Complete sidetrack. You know that thing of when someone's child goes, can I go to the toilet? And the teacher might often re- refer with the word May. I think you'll find it's May. child You can't is- wait
1: that long. <laughs> Sorry, no, it's April. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, again, we could it on for hours, but... A lot, a lot of kids, again, and not just from foster and adoption, but an awful lot of kids, so, you know, they've got um, processing issues. Um, one of the biggest ones, regardless of the label, is they don't do ambiguity. They really don't. And we forget that because we think we're quite funny when we're being ambiguous. And all. They really, really don't get it. So something like, can you clean your teeth? Yes. Can you clean your teeth now? I could. They're not being bloody awkward. They're just the way they're wired. Yeah. But if
0: you understand that, you'll change your language very slightly and then you get rid of all that conflict. I always find just changing, give them an option of like, it just because part of the time is if I said to you, brush your teeth now, you're like, okay, I'm halfway through a page in a book. Uh, I'm not going to brush my teeth right now. I'm going to finish my page. It's quite a good part in the book. Why can't children have that bit of flexibility?
1: They absolutely can. You
0: because don't just walk into someone's can, life when they're halfway through an email or halfway through a phone conversation. and you go, you're going to bed now. It's like.
1: Well, you can, but then I'd say you've got issues, which is why <laughs> we work with the whole family. <laughs> but even you can give them flexibility, but that's still within the boundaries. So it can be, okay, um, you can either have your breakfast now or you can have your shower before you have your breakfast. Which one do you want? But both have to be done when that big hand reaches there on the clock. The reason I say that is because how many of us say, we've got five minutes to get out the door, ten minutes later the kids aren't ready, and we wonder why. This is why, because how many times have you been tap, tap, tapping away or washing up, and the kids say, Mum, Mum, you say, I'll be there in five, twenty minutes later...
0: Yeah. But I think giving them an option. <laughs> I always find if you go, do you want to do it this way or this way? Yeah. They're suddenly put in control while they're being forced and then giving a definite time. I I I've just think we're going in fifteen minutes. My children hear that as in fifteen minutes, my dad will tell me you should be downstairs. Yeah. No, we're walking out the door in fifteen minutes. So you've actually got ten minutes. I, have to make, I try to make it really clear. And I give them that, we're going now. I don't say we're going now is in fifty I do that five minutes before we go. It just makes life, everyone's That's, life a lot less stressful. It's difficult,
1: isn't it? Because so many of our kids now are so articulate. We forget that yes, they're articulate. They can use the words, but they don't have a database yet,
0: and they don't. They don't have experience of being all those experiences. You and me have had. They haven't got them yet. They haven't got the the reasons they should be doing that. Because they don't want to spend five hours every day trying to find their keys. But but as much as everything
1: we've just said is absolutely true, it's only true until it's not and. It comes down to the fact that every child and every adult is completely individual. We've all got stuff going on. We've all got stuff in our reality tunnels about how the world works that makes us frightened, makes us feel safe. And the kids that are in foster and adoption times that by 10.
0: Yeah, so just don't just assume that, ah, oh, it's one of these again, I've got this. And no, don't I also assume do that. that because this child isn't like the last one, it isn't quite going as smooth as the last, that you're failing. It's just something you may not know yet.
1: Exactly. No failure, any feedback. Yes.
0: (laughs) So um, Alison, thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me as always. So we're putting a couple of links in the show notes from Alison, all about the Ollie model and various other things. um, And I'll also be sharing Alison's contact details. So you'll be able to find the show notes on our website, www.thesencast.com. Thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find links to subscribe across different podcast platforms on our website. So if you go to the homepage, you'll see links to Spotify, um, iTunes, Google, all the rest. Um, And also please follow us on social media, on Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, we are The Sendcast. And on Instagram, The Sendcast. If you listen to us through iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and let others know what you think. And before you go... Or before we go even, um, I would just like to remind you all to check out what we do here at B Squared. As well as this podcast, we have our online CPD platform, Training for Education. You'll find a number of our guests our speakers on our virtual SEND conference or have recorded their own training courses, and Alison has done that. And Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. So visit www.trainingforeducation.com, that's F-O-R in the middle, for more information. And lastly, don't forget all our B-Squared assessment products. This is what B-Squared is famous for, helping schools show the small sets of progress pupils make. Okay, so we cover a huge range from early years to post-16 with preparing for adulthood. Visit www.bsquared.co.uk for more information. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sengast. Goodbye from me
1: and goodbye from him.